Hello and welcome to Garcast. It's back to the roots for us uh, because I'm here with, let's say, one of the founding members or the founding instigator, dear Asuka. Hi, Asuka. <laughs> we have uh, found each other in front of one microphone because we know each other in real life, of course. Um, and dear Asuka was the one who got me into podcasting by being in a German anime podcast eons ago. And after then, I decided to make my own one, the English one, the Garcast, which you are listening to right now. And uh, because we are sitting here together, uh, let's reminisce about a few tiny things and then go over to our main topic, uh, which is that we both saw two animation movies that ran in Cannes Festival this year. Namely, Bell and Summit of the Gods, uh, which we saw this weekend because some of them released already in the cinema and we were able to catch them. But before that, how's life been treating you, Asuka? How are you? Hello. Um, yeah, I mean, same as everyone, I think the last few years have been rough. Um, but I've been, I've been doing good, like, mm. you know, considering the circumstances. Um, it's like pandemic, general uproar. Yeah. Everybody being somewhat angry at something. You know, the usual. The Everyone's usual. always angry. That's true. Yeah. So, anything changed uh, in the pandemic, so to speak, for you? Because, for example, I noticed that I've been sort of less into like the seasonal anime stuff. Uh, I've gone back to, I have this backlog that I want to watch, or am just going back to the classics. Even um, got back to watching the original Yu-Gi-Oh, which is probably like a nostalgic thing uh, for me. Just media-wise, how has the pandemic been to you? Yeah, it's been all over the place. Um, I did start studying a film just before it started, and I, I did notice that, like, I had a lot more time to think about what I watch and watch a lot of it, mm -hmm. right? So while you still have to go to university in person and everything and go to the cinema, you still just like watch a lot of like modern movies, right? Things that just released and you want to talk to your co-students about it. And then when I'm just sitting at home and only have the internet, I only watch the very niche stuff. <laughs> uh, same goes for anime. I've been falling out of seasonals for a few years longer now, but I also started watching Yu-Gi-Oh! Uh, nice. Like earlier this year, and I think I watched about 130 episodes in <laughs> two weeks. Fuck. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's a, it's a lot more like thinking about what you do and then like, you know, because... Just having the internet as an audience, having like Twitter and everything to talk about is very different from having real-life people. Hmm. Oh. oh, yes, definitely. Like, I even feel it uh, right now with the hype of Squid Game. Uh, because, well, the pandemic is not quite over, but it's sort of everywhere right now. Hmm. I think it's right now becoming one of the, not the biggest Netflix original series that ever was. And I think if it just was real life, I would probably only meet a few people who watch it. But right now, it's just everywhere. Also, uh, kiddos, uh, watch Kaiji. <laughs> because the, the director already um, confirmed that uh, Squid Game is partly based or inspired by Kaiji, Liar Game and Battle Royale, of course. Uh, and I feel you see all three of them. 
uh, in there. And I think most people are familiar with Battle Royale. I think Liar Game only had a J-drama and the, the original manga, of course. Yeah, so um, take yourself out there. Watch some of the originals uh, if you liked Squid Game. Because it's fun to see where stuff comes from. I think my experience regarding that is actually like the opposite. Mm. I think if I was talking more to people IRL, it would be much more like, oh, Squid Game, real cool new thing, right? Like this, as if Battle Royale was something very special, like the, mm -hmm. the concept of Battle Royale, right? As if there wasn't like hundreds of those. Um, and online, it's more like, maybe it's just my third circle, but people know Kaiji, people know Battle Royale. Right, yeah. people are familiar with um, both South Korean and like Japanese media that influenced uh, it. So yeah, for me it's very different. I feel like mm. many more people would just be very wildly, "Yeah, watch Squid Game, it's so good." If I was IRL and online, it's more like you know you could watch Kaiji, <laughs> which you could. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely something. Uh, about that as well. I think if you like circles wherever you move, like either Discord, Twitter, Facebook, whatever you use, uh, are really um, big on the influence sort of what, how you perceive the internet to yeah. be of, of many things. Yeah, nice. Yeah, uh, on my side, by the way, uh, I'm doing well. Uh, over the last five years of Garcast, I, I finished my studies, had, I think, three different jobs, but all of this was sort of planned. The before one, I quit because I didn't like it, but um, finally found one that I really like and I'm very happy with. Um, so unfortunately, it takes uh, a lot of my time uh, out because, of course, full-time jobs are long, like 40 hours a week, if not longer. Uh, but I'm very happy with, with what I do. So right now, it's a lot of having... Be, I need to be able to manage my free time well because I only have a few hours of the day and that is something I slightly struggle with because um, I'm getting either caught up on some YouTube stuff and because YouTube videos nowadays are like 40 minutes at least um, so they eat up a lot of my time so I think I maybe have to go back to my initial plan of no YouTube under the week and just focus on like other stuff like watching movies um, and yeah, just make better use and not get caught in the hole of the internet um, because your, your time is more valuable than that. And then just maybe have like conscious time, like now I'm watching YouTube and not like a side thing to do. And yeah, so, so far this is my uh, situation because my backlog is immense, way too big, and the physical backlog even too. We are currently sitting in... Uh, Surrounded by my shelves uh, in my nerd cabin. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, ma manage your free time well, also. <laughs> that, that, that's my my other uh, advice for today, next to watching Kaiji, which is always good. Yeah. Uh, should we go over to our main topic of the day, which is that we saw two animated movies, uh, Bell and Summit of the Gods. Yeah. Shall we start with Bell? Because we watched that first as well. Yep, I think uh, <laughs> that one was the one we tackled first. Um, I can give a short introduction to uh, Bell. It is um, the new movie by Mamoru Hosoda, which most of you should know as um, the director of The Girl Who Leapt Through Time, 
uh, Wolf Children, Boy and the Beast, and of course the very good um, One Piece and Digimon movies. Um, the sixth one and the Bokuran War game, which we will talk about, I, I feel, <laughs> um, because it, it borrows a lot. And of course, uh, Summer Wars. Uh, and this good man, Mamoru Hosoda, has done uh, a new film uh, with his own studio, and it's called Bell internationally, and is a sort of online digital retelling of Beauty and the Beast, with more internet topics such as uh, having a mask on the internet and the anonymity of things as well as being creative uh, in an online community. So, so far, so good. Um, but yeah, we, we both saw it uh, and I think we both have opinions on the good thing. Do you want to start? I think like just taking it beforehand, the uh, interesting thing is that when we first met each other uh, six years ago now, I think, I think a bit so, more. Yeah. Um, that was when I was, I had watched way more anime than you did. Absolutely. Um, and I was very big on, I think that was still when um, The Girl Who Left Her Time was actually my favorite film. Mm. And your taste was obviously quite a bit different. You probably liked One Piece Movie 6 by then, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we had like that kind of connection, but we had a lot of clashes about taste. Well, because... And, um, I remember people telling us, so can you not stop the WhatsApp chat? Like, mm. we're like 100 messages later and they're still at it. <laughs> but it was almost in an amicable way, I think. We were yeah. never... I mean, like, we're still friends. Yeah, we're still friends, <laughs> as you can see. Like, six years later of uh, yelling at each other, the WhatsApp chat, we, we still are friends. Uh, and so it was interesting to now watch Bell together, right? Which is um, a film. A film. It's... We both did not like it. Uh, <laughs> we were very, no. <laughs> maybe, but also no. No, it, it has bits that I think <sighs> it's work. it's very pretty at times. It's pretty. Like it... the CG is very good. Yep. I think that's very noteworthy because yeah, animated CG and like half like when you have this mix between two D and three D, it's often not very good. And like even if you look back at other films, I, if I remember correctly, Summer Wars still did that very well. Mm -hmm. You know, even if you look at One Piece Movie 6, the CG flower thing mm. was kind of weird. But Bell is a very pretty film. Yes. I think if I remember correctly, even everything that is in the real world is 2D mm -hmm. and everything that is in the digital yeah. world is 3D. So it makes for a really nice um, like thematic divide in its visual style. Yeah. I think the, the same went for Summer Wars. Yeah, there mm, was everything yeah. 3D. Which Bell is basically a retelling of Summer Wars, which is basically a retelling of Digimon Our War Game. Yes. <laughs> um, it's like Hosoda has one thing. That's that's a bit of a lie. He's he has done our films in between, and Bell also takes from other films. Um I think especially the main girl looked a lot like the mom from Wolf Children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> there were some Mirai vibes in there, I feel. Then there's the big whales the online whales that are from um boy and the beast mm -hmm. it feels like he's just cluttering everything together into a new wa uh, summer wars mm. but the <laughs> that's where the good things approximately end <laughs> kind of yeah uh, i have to say the same it's stunning um the animation as well as the art direction of the online world really pretty um absolutely Amazing. It looks uh, like a wallpaper simulator. You could probably stop at any point and you would have like a really nice frame 
uh, like even the the beast's castle is like a very mm, nice design yeah. like um, very put together architecture like in the sky and then the the internet was like um, 3d skyscrapers i would say where people can fly through that's that's really pretty but yeah um, i think our issue lies more with the story and the themes it wishes to tackle yeah i think that this is where things get i think very subjective i I can see that this maybe resonates with people but for us it did not so um to, to go in a little bit of retelling um our protagonist um has a, quite a rough life she she lost her mother and uh, also the ability to sing with it to, to um i would say uh, psychosomatic uh, reasons and then she discovers an online app where you can make a new identity um and then start your life over like a second life sort of deal um and there she suddenly becomes famous for being a great singer because online like with her mind she can still sing in the physical world she cannot um and then uh, of course later on she she meets a beast which is the biggest fighter in the online arena and crashes her concert and then they meet each other and sparks fly apparently uh and things go on but let's let's focus on the let's say the first half for now ah, for me this like this this movie wants to do things it definitely has a heart and a good intention but i feel like how it presents these things is too fast and too convoluted or how do you see them yeah i I think there's a lot of unnecessary stuff in a a sense um like there's there's several boys that are introduced that also like contribute to the mystery of who does the beast is it one of those Mm -hmm. two boys that are around what was her name Uh, suzu suzu yeah um and but there's there's never anything that really hints at one of them being it. Uh, but you obviously have the expectation because, you know, it's set up like a romance. Mm-hmm. One of those boys is a wonderful himbo, by the way. Yes. He has only... He only wants one thing and it's canoeing. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's great. He has also the best scene in the entire movie later when he talks to Suzu's friend, Luca. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, he's canoe boy. We stand Kanu boy. He he is a good lad. We like him. And then there's like a lot. I feel like some of it just went through a checklist of what do you associate with online, mm-hmm. right? There's anonymity. There's doxing. There's kind of VTubing yeah. in a way, right? I'm not sure if I see it like as a thing for VTubing, but like definitely with the anonymity and the different personality, you know, being someone else. And... Everything, then, like, the whole... Well, Suzu's trauma, I think, was very well implemented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Her whole worries, but when we go into, like, the Beast a bit more uh, background there, it was a bit... stiff. Yeah. Also came in way too late. Mm, yeah. Um, I think that's the the main issue with the thing. I think uh, I think I even told you after we watched it, uh, watched it that someone should have looked over the script like like once or twice more yeah uh it feels very rough um and i think this is what weakens the film especially because what it wants to do with its themes is 
quite ambitious, I would say. And normally I would trust Hosoda with something mm. like this. Like, this man has talent. Uh, but, yeah, I feel, for example, the passing of time is very, very murky in this film. Mm. So, uh, at first we see Belle, and then we go into a flashback, which we, which wasn't, uh, was unannounced. So, now Suzu isn't Belle yet, and then she becomes Belle, uh, and then it is sort of instigated that she... From one day to the next, she got like two billion followers at once. But in, in fact, it was a montage of her doing different things. And now she already has a best friend who is arranging her music and making her marketing. And this happens in a span within like two minutes. So you're getting completely bamboozled on like well, what's going on and how fast are things moving. Because that later on happens because when she talks to not canoe boy, let's call him broody, broody, not smiling lad, uh, who I didn't like at all because he feels like your very typical shoujo love interest or at least someone who's not fun. Um, but, but he's one of the main love interests, of course. Um, they talk to each other because they were childhood friends, of course. And he swore to protect her, and she still thinks that's a thing. But they were six, so now they're meeting again in high school, and he asks her what's wrong, she doesn't want to talk, so he grabs her by the wrist. Stop that, don't do that. And uh, she still refuses and runs away. And then I felt like many things happened, and then suddenly she gets like bombarded with like 200 messages at once, like, oh my god, did you uh, hold hands with one of the most popular boys in school? It's like, no, I didn't, it was a mistake. But I feel like half an hour passed between <laughs> these two points. Or at least, like, several days. Because I felt that a lot of past time passed there. But in real life, in in the universe, it probably didn't. My god, my god. Well, I, I had some problems with that. I normally don't have problems with this yeah it's just a spacing between like real world stuff and uh online stuff that is weird because the online stuff is of course like the majority right the, that's like the very pretty well you have the more grounded not really even grounded drama but like something more that akin what mario kata would write <laughs> uh in the real world and then the more hosoda-esque stuff um online the more fantastical stuff. And because that takes a lot of time and, you know, there's, we have to establish that they try to figure out who the beast is and uh, that they can't, cannot figure out any information about it, any anything meaningful. And that just takes up a lot of time. So when you have these bits in between, it's like if you were to watch a TV show and there was an entire episode, 25 minutes of an anime that is just like, something else and then suddenly you go back and nothing i'm like <laughs> five minutes happened in the next episode it just feels weird yeah it definitely does uh i think before we go into spoilers because not everybody has seen it yet uh we called a digital festival release um i would say it's definitely one that you should watch for yourself because i feel uh, Opinions will differ, mm. definitely. Like, even if you look at Mel right now, of course not. It hasn't hit, like, 
everybody yet, but uh, it's sort of it's not even in the the top thousands right now. So it's just noodling around, and even Letterboxd is like meh on it. So I would say watch it, but like even if it's just for the visual spectacle alone, because there are some really fantastic and well directed scenes in there. Uh, what are your pre-spoiler? Well, I, I think it could be interesting to watch because it's probably going to win an Oscar um, because mm. Belle looks like a Disney princess and that's yes. probably enough. <laughs> no, <laughs> just just a tiny bit of shade. Uh, no, I think I think especially if you like modern Hosoda, mm. uh, he's definitely moving into a direction that is more this. And I think uh, like if you look at The Boy and the Beast and Mirai, it's went more in this direction that Belle continues. And I think if you like that, Bell's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's, there's there's a lot of interesting things. Just, you know, take it easy and don't, <laughs> like, I don't want to say expect too much, but don't think about it too, too much about like what's happening at all times because there is a lot of unnecessary stuff. So if you take it easy, I think you're going to have a good time. Uh, yeah, plus the not, not thinking too much. I think I struggled a few times with I know thematic or plot holes because some things get introduced and then they are still different. Like one of the things was uh, how your avatar is created like within the story. You are getting an avatar built on your biometric data, they say in the movie. So your avatar will sort of be an interpretation of you. But uh, I think the problem is it's not never it's never said how much you can change the avatar or if you're just stuck with one because it, it, it's sort of a plot point that they say well um, this person has scars here and there so their avatar must have scars here and there too but then you see things like furry characters and baby characters and uh, people who are just i don't know little fairies or uh, i don't know a big dog creature with with the canoe so uh, you think, okay, so but you can still change things. So what's the plot point about we have to find a person who needs to have scars because their avatar has scars? Like, what is the, if it's just cosmetic? So yeah, some of these points will be... I have no clue how this works. And it's not explaining these things well. But yeah, I think from here on now we can go into spoilers. Um, what the deal is with uh, this whole movie. So we see our beast, uh, which is seemingly very distant, doesn't want people around him, and he uh, disrupts Belle's beautiful concert, and then he gets chased by the furry police, um, who are the not admins of the, the world, but they are sort of guardians, because apparently admins do not exist anymore. The, the the world was just created and left alone to their own devices. Yeah, it's it's not even a police; it's a militia. Sorry, right? it's a militia. They are a doxing militia. <laughs> uh, they are a doxing militia in with furry faces, of yeah. course. Um, because yeah, th- that's what what happens later on is that we find out how is this world governed in the sense that nobody does any garbage, and we find out that the militia um, has a doxing laser. <laughs> Um, which is uh, a big big green fuck-off laser that they can point at a person and then the avatar will turn into the real-life person 
So you're basically getting doxxed by showing your face immediately to everybody uh, around. I think it's also supposed to like lock the people out, right? Like delete the avatar and they can't get in anymore. I think. But when they do it later, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, you're right. They say like, "Oh, why is why is this person still here?" It's like, yeah, uh, th- this movie is not quite strict about its own rules, but in a but in a world where rules matter because mm. it's technology, it's like digital rules you normally cannot overcome. So yeah, um, uh, we go to to the plot point of the, well, what is this beast? What's it doing? And of course, we suspect it could be one of the two real life boys who are in love with Belle. But he, the, the beast is sort of very brooding, very uh, don't look at me. And we also see that it has scars on its back um, that are even pulsating. So Bell thinks this could be a clue of wh- what it, th- this creature is. But in there we also have like a big romantic song. She said, she I've never written a love song before. And then she writes one about you don't want me around, you push me away. Plus a really big ballroom dance scene where I'm very sure that Disney will come for us because it looks straight out of um, Beauty and the Beast. Um, they even put the Beast in a, uh, in a suit. Uh, we, we can applaud that. Yeah. that, that that's yeah. very good. But yeah, then it sort of immediately swings over to who is this Beast and we need to find out what, why, how. And then they start suspecting different people around the world. Uh... <sighs> And and then I even forget how we get to the point where we actually see who the beast is. And it's because the militia like chases them, I think, mm, yeah. and then you know they set the castle on fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, okay, no, no. you know because now it's like really urgent because they are hunting the beast, and if they dox the beast, then what is gonna happen? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> something. He's he's public enemy number one now yeah. for being a beast. You know. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then uh, yeah, uh, and she finds the uh, the original uh, person who controls the beast by following the love song that she sung to the beast because only the beast could know it. And they find a little boy who is the little brother of the RL beast. And then we go into the heavy stuff. Because we find out due to a live stream on the internet that both kids are getting abused by a very violent father. And then we see uh, the scars on the back of the boy are the bruises that the father is uh, punching and kicking onto his kids. Then we sort of the, the movie switches gear into we need to save these kids. Which I normally would be fine with, but I feel like this comes in two thirds after everything happened, it already had a romantic twist, like, like a romantic feeling over it, but it's it's less romantic. It's more like, oh God, please, please save these kids, for goodness sake. Yeah, I think it's important also to mention that with the whole romantic ballroom dance and everything, the romance just gets entirely shat- shattered because Bella's like, uh, Susie is like, well, the beast is like a child. Mm. And then it's like, okay, no romance anymore. Which just, you know, okay, the entire first part of the movie was just like, a big red herring. Yes. Uh, that that absolutely doesn't matter anymore. Also, we should say that Beast is a lot younger than Suzu is. I think it's implicated to be that he's 14, I think. And Suzu is somewhere 16, 17. Yeah. He's in Hashin High School. He's a middle school kid. Um, yeah, so I feel like this whole plot point, which is good, like um, 
that internet can be sort of a saving grace from like IRL troubles and abuse, uh, it really does that way too late. And I think we already had like this big emotional climax in the middle of the ballroom dancing and the the singing and the beast looks sad and doesn't understand. It's like, yeah, but maybe we should have done it a little bit more. I feel like if this movie wanted to do what it should have done, it should not go gone the romantic route. Mm. Which I feel like is like a leftover of the Beauty and the Beast um, story and imagery. I think it's also just like a social, cultural thing, right? That we see, okay, she's interested in the Beast from the start. Mm -hmm. And then just like, you know, we only know that from one thing, which is love at first sight, mm -hmm. right? So it's just like interest in the Beast. And if you take the Romans away, then there's like, just like, why is she interested in the Beast? Because yeah. it looks sad, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. I didn't even understand that, like in the movie, because she once she sees the beast, she's immediately interested. Like she wants to know who is this guy, what's he doing, and I I didn't understand even why, because we see like millions and millions of avatars on the screen at all times, and some of them even look really out of the world, funky. And why is this one beast suddenly very interesting to her? Like, yeah, I felt that even that wasn't quite communicated clearly why she is suddenly so interested in this one person but yeah and then we go into like the last third i would say which is saving kids arc but that was really that was solved way too easily yeah yeah i think that's that's one of my, my main issues as well because if you want to do something with but even such is such a serious topic even then you, you probably would think oh, okay this is now your your big emotional climax of wow we need to go out there and we need to save someone but uh it's it also has like one of the more relatable stuff of i know a person on the internet is unwell but i don't know where they live i cannot help them and then they need to figure out um like own clues by uh, the stream like where could this person be and then they found out find out within two minutes immediately and then Belle, so Suzu alone, goes to Tokyo to fix or to, to at least get these kids, but none of the adults go with her. And I think to myself, yeah, okay, it's 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 supposed to be the <sighs> suspension of disbelief and anything, but I would not let an underage girl alone into a big city to find an abusive father who is shown on camera to beat children. Yeah, and then she she finds them very quickly because she knows where to go and then her other brother runs onto the street and finds her and then father comes out and he is yelling at them and then Suzu looks at him seriously and he realizes the errors of his ways, falls to the ground and scrambles away. Mm. The kids are saved. Hmm. Well then. And then she goes home and suddenly she's good with her dad anymore. Yeah. She hasn't talked to since the death of her, mo death of her mother. Oh uh, yeah. The, the, the father of her, of Suzu, is kind of a little distant. He's trying his best, but I think she doesn't want to have a lot of connections with him too. But yeah, suddenly this is also fixed now. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then she just, she drives home. 
I don't know what happens to the other two. They stay in Tokyo, yeah, maybe? Or... stay with their dad, but now they can stand up to him. Wow! And maybe that means he's gonna punch them less. Uh, yeah, I don't even know like if these kids are like, taken away from him. But we also saw that one of them of the ladies called the police, but they said we don't do anything within 48 hours. So, yeah, that, that even this is not really solved, really. Yeah, it's like the film doesn't have enough time for what it tries to do. Yeah. And especially because like the, there's these five choir, choir ladies mm -hmm. um, who were friends with Suzu's mom. And then like after her death, they are like looking after Suzu a bit, right? And then later it turns out they knew that Suzu was Bella all along, mm -hmm. but didn't tell her because they yep. were just looking after her, which I think is nice, right? It has mm -hmm. a bit of that, like, you know, not quite found family, but, this, you know, people are looking after you even if you're alone. Mm -hmm. But the entire reason for these women to be in the film is so that two of them could drive Suzu to the train station so yep. she could take the bus to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. And the same goes for Kanu Boy and... Um, uh, you, uh, well, uh, yeah, the Kanu Boy and Luca, the the girl who is mm -hmm. in the orchestra club specifically, because they're basically only in the film to help figure out where the boys live, because they, yes. because the girl is like, oh, I recognize these tunes, mm -hmm. you know, those are like evening announcement tunes, so it must be between two cities, and Kanu Boy, oh, I recognize the buildings in the background because I was there and took a photo for a Kanu competition. Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, it's just these people are all just there for that plot and so the film is filled with characters that don't have anything to add. Yeah, and sorry, I'm uh, readjusting my chair. <laughs> I apologize for any of the cracks in the background. So, yeah, uh, th that's how I felt as well. There are a lot of characters in there, but none of them are utilized to their full potential. They're just there to help Suzu in some kind of plot ways. Yeah, now that you're saying it, definitely, it um, it makes sense. Also, that uh, I think only in the last arc we see the um, the avatars of the five ladies. Yeah. I feel like I, we didn't see them at no, all. They they before. went there. And then I think would have been like a nice twist that uh, like some online friends that she knows turn out to be in fact like people who know about her real life struggles and her family problems. Like that, that would have been nice. But yeah, they they're just they're at the end too. Mm. And uh, yeah, then the doxing laser happens also, and there's this uh, what I think one of the later climaxes to be that, um, and also an end of the arc for Suzu as well that she, as herself in the digital world, sings a song as Suzu and not as Belle, because that was one of the first things, of course, we know from the film that she lost her ability to sing. Uh, due to the psychosomatic problems of losing her mother. Uh, and I felt like that should have been like a big payoff, but it's sort of only used f for her to prove that she is Belle to a web stream of the two kids watching, and then all of everybody clapped, and everybody joined in into a gigantic choir. And it's it's impressive. Like, it's it's really well done, that sort of... A community comes together to save two kids from an abusive family. So far, so good, but it still has like this romantic undertone, like even in that scene. Uh, and it's, I feel like the, the themes of it are very convoluted. Like it maybe should have just stuck with like found family, 
helping people yeah. and then at the end that internet can help you with either trauma in real life and can also a community come together and help people i think that would have been nice but sort of throwing in this love triangle square plus the romantic undertones of the beast uh, it's a bit much really i feel like it, it it hinders itself from being good and i find that a little bit sad i just want to mention by the way the losing your voice due to trauma or singing voice in this case is right out of a mario kata film Yay! phantom of the heart uh, so yeah, the film has a strong Okada vibes in its like first part. I, I do like that at the end, once like this whole thing thing is thing, romance is just not a topic anymore. Mm-hmm. Like even with her broody, not quite boyfriend dude, at the end it's just like okay, I've always taken care of you because I thought you needed a guardian. Now we can be friends, mm-hmm. right? Not not lovers, just friends. And she isn't like confessing her love or anything. It's just yeah, we're friends now. Romance is not a topic anymore. That feels so good. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, at least that, that's good for the, for the ending of the film. Although I found it to be like a, a, a strange revelation. Yeah. Like, hey, the promise I gave you when I was a six-year-old kid doesn't matter anymore. Like, I sometimes don't understand this this kind of trope. But like, yeah, as, as kids, mm. we swore at each other. Like, dude, do I even know what it said in kindergarten like every day? I don't know. Like, why do people hold this so importantly dear? There's also this big reveal that when... Susie's mother died saving like a stranger's child and then she is like oh i'm also gonna die and then we just see a hand holding her back but not who the hand is and then at the end it's revealed that it is is the other boy and Ah, it's like what's like what what does that reveal add like is there anything that does has to tell us we know they were friends back then yep um yeah and Another small thing that I find sadly very underdeveloped, there's Peggy Sue, who oh, is yeah. great name, by the way. <laughs> um, she's like the original idol singer on the online platform who then gets like overtaken by Belle, because everyone loves how unique Belle's songs are, and she's more like, you know, generic K-poppy thing. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh, Belle, she's so bad, right? You know, celebrity stuff. And then she gets hated out. And nobody mm. likes her anymore because Belle is the best uh, singer now. And then at the end, in the whole big climax where everyone joins in singing, she's like, you know, when Belle gets uncovered, when Suzu is shown, um, she's like, oh, she's a normal girl, just like me. And that's Yay, it. That's, that's <laughs> it. Like, I really expected her to be more of a rival mm, yeah. to Belle because uh, she is shown to be like the big one um, before Belle. And uh, I had the mad light theory that this is maybe the little girl who got saved from the river because they both have this sort of ponytail with a puffy end. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe. Headcanon now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought of like Peggy Sue would, would be mm. more of a character um, because she also appears at the end again to support her from the crowd. But yeah, uh, nothing happened there. Hmm. So yeah, I think we, we can we can end on that. Uh, that Belle is not our new favorite Hosoda film. It's definitely ambitious, I would say. It's exceptionally pretty. Uh, well done, but for me at least, what it wants to do or sets out to be is not achieved. Let's say it's it's not an effective film. 
in itself because it's too convoluted and the pacing is all over the place. Yeah, consider watching One Piece movie six Baron Amatsuri and The yep. Secret Island. Um, it's a good film. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good film. <laughs> and of course, if you're interested in the whole online thing, Our War Game, the Digimon film, and yep. the Summer Wars. Yeah, those are the two yeah. that um, do the same thing. I thought, and it's like especially Summer Wars because it's like back in a time where online wasn't this big yet, mm-hmm. where online wasn't something that was like this major in our lives. It just it has a more romanticized view of the things, right? They fight a virus and you can just challenge it to a card game mm-hmm. and, like, you know, bet on the avatars of people. <laughs> and then the power of love, of course, wins. Uh, something like that. Uh, while this one has is bogged down a bit by having to, like, implement all these realistic things and being realistic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then stumbling over itself yeah. with, for example, the avatar creation, which is never really 100% explained, but somehow is important to the story. And then, yeah, how this whole community even works, because I feel like it's not quite understandable, or at least... Ah. For example, like Belle gets yeeted into this world for the first time, and then she starts singing, and everybody looks at her, and oh my god, look! For the... But it's already established that there's like a billion people on this platform. I feel like somewhere out there should be one person who can <laughs> sing well. Uh, so y- yeah, and then suddenly she has two billion followers, and that happens because she did remixes of her own song, arranged by another high school girl. Mm. Like, I-, I think yeah. it's more also like random people like she went viral with her singing and then random people took it and remixed it and so just like a bit on this viral virality right like a meme and then you know mm-hmm. it it gets bigger because other people create something with it and that just kind of which also makes it more believable that this happened over one night right she just did that one song next day everyone knows her ah because uh, i thought it was herself because we then see different video versions of her in like different dresses and people even comment on like what's this fashion that's also like why i'm not so sure on my theory yeah but also like you know it's online like maybe they have a thing where other people can just put her in outfits right i don't know it's it's weird it's not explained properly which in some films isn't a problem but this one like kind of wants it yeah i feel because it wants it to be important and a plot point. So, of course, the focus is on that. And then you wonder to yourself, but, but why? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> th- th- that was Belle, <laughs> which we saw. Uh, th- th- so that means we can go over to the next film that we saw in a cinema. Uh, and that was Summit of the Gods. And I think we both didn't knew a lot of it uh, mm-hmm. beforehand. I only knew that it was a French and uh, animated film, some Luxembourgish co-production, and it's based on Summit of the Gods by Jiro Taniguchi, which I think in reverse is also based on a novel before that. But uh, it, it was sort of said that the anime or sort of this movie is more based on the manga and its looks, because Jiro Taniguchi already has this sort of very sane and realistic style. And I think it marries itself really well with this French, like, BD Bon Dessiné style, which fits it really well. Uh, so yeah, Summit of the Gods is uh, a story about mountain climbing and why people do it. And uh, we follow our journalist, 
whose name I've just forgotten again. Fukamachi. Fukamachi, I think. Let's say Fukamachi for now. Um, and he's sort of a bit unhappy with uh, his mountaineering job because he's uh, essentially a photographer who follows other climbers around to make photos. And this is sort of an important job because you need to prove somehow that you went up the mountain. So you need a photographer to go with you. And he often like, climbs different routes like alongside them to shoot photos. But yeah, he, um, and then in Nepal he st stumbles over a guy who wants to give him a camera. And that camera seems to be um, one of the f uh, cameras from the first mountaineering towards Mount Everest in 1923, where people just don't know if the people ever made it up to the mountain or not. And that could change the world of mountaineering, because um, Mount Everest was only climbed in 1956, I think. So there's the question, did they ever make it up to the mountain in 1923? Uh, or did they die on the way to the top or to the way down? So finding this one camera and with maybe uh, a photo on it that proves that they were on the summit would be something that would change the, the history. So he's interested in it, but um, he sees that the guy gets beaten up and one guy called Habu, uh, which he knows, um, you know, who's like a big bear dude, um, takes the camera back and runs away. And that leaves our dear Fukumachi alone and asks himself, huh, um, what do I know? Can I get after this? And can this be solved? And so sort of a, I want to in the, say like nearly documentary style film goes, but of course it's, uh, it's a fictional story um, of finding this Habu, what he did, what uh, where he could be. And if he had the ability to actually find this camera, which was probably somewhere on Mount Everest, snowed in. Yeah. Uh, and that starts our story. And it's really, really well done. It's super good. Because uh, it even, I think you mentioned it, that it has kind of a feel like Waltz of uh, Waltz with Bashir. With this uh, sort of different vignettes of like meeting different people that then form one big story. Because this is how Fukumachi does it himself. He at first goes into his, his archives of um, his uh, magazine firm where he finds different information. Then he visits uh, like a friend who always um, went mountaineering with, with Habu. Then he finds the mother of a boy who went mountaineering with him, interviews them, and then finds out that Habu had been sending money to him. So uh, there's an address he can follow. Uh, and yeah, so if we, we see... This, uh, this Habu through the eyes of different people. And all of these stories I found really interesting because they always have different perspectives on mountain climbing. The first one being where he wants to go mountain climbing with his friends and they notice that they cannot go on this trip because they are missing like funding and sponsors and such. So it's not even a case of like, can you go up this mountain? No, there's like a whole lot of networking you need to do then it goes into a discussion of like teamwork because mm -hmm. we later found out that Habu starts doing a lot of solo mountain climbing, which has, has its own rules. For example, that you cannot interact with any other team member from anywhere else um, to sort of have it count as a solo uh, climb. Um, then in the discussion of if you are doing climbing with like two people, which are bound by a rope, would you cut the rope if one of the one would fall? And Habu, of course, says, yes, I would, because not two people should die on a trip. 
And the other one goes like, yeah, but you have you no empathy? Or what, would you like it if if someone would cut you off? And he says, yes, of course. So, yeah, there, we see that there's already a lot of conflict with sort of contemporaries. But yeah, uh, super good, like really sort of small stories that make up the big one. And then at the end, of course, um, Fukumachi finds Habu. I think this would go into spoilers again. Um, but yeah, Summit of the Gods. Wow, that was good. And also, on a production standpoint, um, the as I said, the Bide style matches itself perfectly with Jiro Taniguchi's um, uh, way of storytelling because they put a lot of focus on like character acting, like little tiny like facial expressions or like a lot of body um, acting, but people gesturing or uh, how they sit, how they speak, how they um, how they walk in itself. But I think one of the most impressive things was the production design and animation itself of how mountains are shown and nature. I mean, wow. <laughs> I've seen rarely such beautiful backgrounds for mountains in itself. And that, of course, then gets paired with an exceptionally good sound design plus soundtrack. Um, because the, the sound design is great with all of this like, snow like cracking of ground, of stone, of mountains and thunder and snow and rain and stuff. it it feel it makes you feel uncomfortable of like Jesus, this is some bad weather. Um and yeah, plus the soundtrack which I can even like hardly describe if this is like not electro with orchestral sort of the different mixes of many things, mm. but definitely very, very uh, impressive and effectively used. So I was very happy we could see this one in the cinema because it really had the big sound to go with the imagery. So, and it's apparently it's only 90 minutes, but it felt longer, but in a good way. Yeah. Because it crams so much content into its own film with, without feeling either that it drags or that it's too fast. So the pacing is perfect for, for this one, what it wants to do. So yeah, if you can watch it, Summer of the Gods, please do. Uh, you will not regret it. Very good stuff. Some scenes can also get very spooky because, uh, well, nature is uh, very ruthless <laughs> towards people. Nature doesn't care about you if you die. Um, but yeah, uh, I was very impressed by that one. Really happy that I saw it. Um, so yeah, I think we can go into spoilers afterwards. But what are your finishing words? Uh, definitely a great movie. I genuinely loved, um, well, for one, the images of the mountains and everything, where the people are always very small. There's yeah. never a, the humans have conquered this mountain or no. something. They are always small. And um, much like was with Bashir, this structure of, like, you know, someone, like, reminiscing or finding out the past is really good, because in this case, especially, you, we know the end result. We know mm -hmm. Habu Joji. Um, he has lost two fingers. He disappeared from mountaineering at some point. Never seen, uh, nobody heard of him again, even though he was like a prodigy. And mm -hmm. he has this camera that might be the Mallory camera, I think. Mm -hmm. I yes, think that Mallory was the name. It's called. And then everything we tell about, we have like we know where we will end up. So how does this vignette get us there? What is the development that we get? And then, you know, after every small bit, we are left with okay, we now know how Habu Joji was at this point. But what's the next step? And that fills the film with so much stuff, so much mm -hmm. that you can think about while not feeling bloated, which, you know, leads to it feeling longer than 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that's a problem that Bella had because you know we didn't have that uh, that pay, uh, spacing right. The, the just the the pacing was really done uh, really well done in this movie, and that just makes it fun and yeah, it's really interesting. Habu Joji was a very interesting character to follow, mm-hmm. being like a very arrogant, talented person, uh, and then slowly learning that he's kind of an ass. Yeah, <laughs> the man has to learn some really tough lessons about himself. Um, yeah, and he becomes a different character through that. So even without like having seen him in real life, but sort of seeing what his way went through other people um, made him then a really understandable character. And as you can imagine, we meet him at the end. So the dear Fukumashi finds him, and then they go on a final quest uh, themselves together, uh, which is what well, was a really great end also to, to end this story on, to ask some of you philosophical questions about mountaineering as well like why do why do people climb up a mountain why do they go up just to go down again and what this mindset is and how it makes people feel uh really good um really good and interesting like even like, because i even don't know a lot of mountain climbing mm. uh, so yeah they're interesting also as an insight into this world of why do people do that and why does it mean so much to a lot of people yeah, it uh, was absolutely good. I think in spoiler-wise, um, I'll probably say that I was very impressed with how pain is shown mm. um, in uh, the film. Like Either way, you feel like somebody tumbles down a mountain and just it gets like held back by a rope and you just hear a crack mm. sound. Like, ouch. Like, I don't know what broke there, but probably something really bad. And people will also like stay just in this position. You can say, yeah, this person is not moving anymore. That person is probably in a lot of pain. Um, and also, for example, how sickness while climbing upwards is shown. For example, like after 7,000 meters, like from oxygen, um, uh, like oxygen disparity will like get headaches and such, or like even worse, like hallucinating. So uh, that was shown like very good ways, like black and red impact frames like coming in for the full frames that you can feel like this person is like having a splitting headache just what, because they're going, going up a mountain. Yeah, and the same for, like, uh, what are called rev- uh, avalanches mm-hmm. and other, like, big nature stuff, like even the, the big thunderstorm at the end, where you, you could just feel yourself going, oh, shit, <laughs> this, is, this is not good. Uh, so, yeah, highly impressed by, by this whole film. Uh, and I think if I remember correctly what I read about it, it even took like many years to finish. I think like, even over five years. Sometimes I even read seven years. So yeah, definitely a very, very good movie that they made together. Which is like two different, like a French and a Luxembourg studio working together. So yeah, definitely hope to see more from them uh, in the future because that was really, really good. And also like an interesting cultural mix of France and Japan, two countries who really like each other and always do like adaptations of each other's works. Um, like for example, Japan having done already like Count of Monte Cristo, or like even the like other French stuff like Alessandro Dumas and or French inspired of like Rose of Versailles or such, and then the sort of France doing the same back with uh, like it we said, uh, Summit of the Gods, but sometimes stuff like Last Man. Or uh, like other French animated series, which last minute is like an homage to the like eighties anime 
uh, style film or I think uh, Motherfuckers MK mm-hmm. uh, that we saw a few years ago back in yeah. um, uh, an anime festival uh, which is also like a French uh, work but sort of done is like a French uh, Japanese anime convention at Studio 4C which has like uh, elements of both of them so yeah it's always really interesting to see what these two countries do when they come together um, yeah, because also animation-wise, they are very close. For example, the Gobelin School, which you may know as one of the like, biggest prestigious animation art schools in France, in Paris. Um, some of these animators then later go on to work in anime. So um, there are quite a lot of French people who then move to Japan and to work on anime. I think one of the more famous ones, if I remember his name correctly, is Thomas Romain. Who um, worked? Uh, who was like an alumni of Gobelin, went to Japan and is now working on like design of Space Dandy and Sinfo Gear. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I think even directing his own series, th- funded by Crunchyroll, I think. Yeah, I think he's doing his own stuff now too. I think so. there was something like that. Yeah, uh, definitely. So yeah, um, always keep an eye out for like one of these like like Double Nation productions because there's like very interesting stuff mm-hmm. happening in there. Also interesting just from the Luxembourgian perspective, because mm-hmm. Luxembourg doesn't have much film industry, right? In yeah, they, they, recently they started, like, yeah. we should do something. So, yeah, there's, I think, one or two years ago they started their own first Netflix series, I think. And now they're also getting into, uh, like, animation uh, as well. And, like, one of the things I think that was Studio 352, they did, for example, Ernest and Celeste. Uh, which is a very cute uh, children's film I still have to watch. I think it was on Amazon Prime, uh, of like a big bear and a tiny mouse who um, uh, live in their respective uh, forests. And of course, they each fear each other because mice are so tiny and so scary and the bears are big and scary. And then sort of you have this unlikely friendship between like a tiny mouse and the bear and then uh, sort of stuff happens. And it's very cute, uh, animated with like flowing lines and all this watercolor style. Um, so yeah, this is one of the bigger projects I remember from them. I still have to watch, but that was especially adorable. So uh, Ernest and Celestine, there we go, there, that's the name. Yeah, so also hoping to see more from them as well. Uh, really interesting stuff. Yeah, so if we if we go back to Cannes, and uh, I think at Cannes there were only three animated movies this year. Of course, then Belle, Summon of the Gods, and I think the last one was... Where is Anne Frank? Where is Anne Frank? Something like that. Uh, yeah, which we didn't see. And then the fourth one was just a documentary on Satoshi Kon, which apparently is also very good, but that one's not out yet. Um, so yeah, what, what do we say about Belle versus Summon of the Gods if they were the both like big prestige films at Cannes Film Festival? I mean, it's obvious that Belle is the better known one mm, because, yeah. you know... It, falls right into that anime uh, spot right like i i really wouldn't be surprised if it won an oscar for yeah. like like depending on what other films uh come out animated films come out this year right but this is definitely a something that you know you wouldn't be surprised more than like that that your name got mm-hmm. so big yeah. something like that and um then like Summit of the Gods is a much cooler film. Yeah. It is genuinely fascinating. And I think, like, for me, it didn't it didn't want to make me go mi- mountaineering. Obviously mm-hmm. not, because 
I'm not insane. <laughs> the things they show are very scary, but it did like spark that interest in film more. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, that spark is constantly lit for me, right? But it is just like I would love to make films like that, oh, right? Yeah. Because mm -hmm. it's very just like the structure and everything. It's very impressive and so yeah. well made. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. And I feel like also you you get to understand mountain climbing a little bit more. Yeah. Um, which I feel is always good to like at least let people, even if they don't want to do it themselves, at least understand what the appeal of something is. And that is very commendable. Uh, we're very happy uh, about that. So yeah, um, because yeah, now that you mentioned it for the Oscars, what are the big animation movies of this year? Um, because uh, also what you mentioned, it is uncanny how... Disney Princess Belle yeah, looks. It's, it looks like she was rotoscoped from from like Elsa and Frozen yeah. or something. It's it, scary. It's it, it's uh, it's uncanny to to a certain level because y for me it's the eyes. Uh, you said for you it's the lips because mm -hmm. she has like very pronounced lipstick, so you can see like the mouth movement when she sings, and that feels very Disney. So yeah, and then of course what I didn't mention the. Furry police big guy looks like somebody straight out of a Trigger Studio um, <laughs> anime. Uh, so, so I found that some of the styles clash a little bit. Um, but yeah, uh, definitely. But yeah, uh, Oscar movies. What even make big animation <laughs> movies this year? <laughs> because I, I, I don't know. Was like I mean, it obviously um, it's about like U.S. release as well, right? Mm, yeah. So they could be like you know, Boss Baby Three. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if if Demon Slayer film has like oh, yeah. if that got a release last year or if that would be legible for this year. And at which point I could, I don't think it would win, right? Because like the Academy yeah, is a, too snobby for that. <laughs> um, it's a franchise movie. Yeah, yeah. but you know, um, there was although Kimetsu no Yaiba the movie broke the record of spirited away in yeah and in, in japan right uh, and even uh at even while in the pandemic so uh while not all the cinemas were open and things were um more limited like even kimetsu no yaiba just went through the roof yeah exactly i so, mean hui. so that's something you know that people might consider think about for it I don't know if there's been any like Pixar or DreamWorks or even Disney films. Uh, I know the Soul thing, but uh, which I haven't seen. Yeah, yet. I think that was also early this year, not last year. So yeah, I don't. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, it was this year. Yeah, so that that probably May, wins. Maybe. Yeah, that's <laughs> because yeah. you know, it's, animated it's, Oscar is always the Disney suggestive film. If not, what else is there? <laughs> Ghibli sometimes, if we are lucky. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, but um, I think is it with animated Oscar the same, the same that they can only hand in one per nation? No, I oh, think no, that's just for can... foreign film, oh, okay, right? Yeah. So it's just they they just take what has American releases, mm. and and you know I'm I'm not entirely sure how the judging works, but I think mm. it's similar to like Best Picture and stuff. Well, oh, yeah. there's just a curated list that you know mm. they get to mm. nominate from and vote for. Yeah. Okay, so but maybe if we are lucky, maybe both make it on the the Oscar list, but I mean, some of the gods are cool. too, too small. Yeah, yeah I but think. it's still big. Like I mean Carmen and Fran and I can imagine because uh, sometimes um they will like release films in festivals, so it at least was an American Shores yeah. once. 
And that means that it is eligible for an Oscar right. release, I Which think. still would mean it wouldn't win because all the people, yeah. like the judges, haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, I mean, it would be really cool, like, if it got, like, a cinema release and really, you know, made some waves because it's, it's a very good movie, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doubtful just because that's not how the mainstream works often mm-hmm. ways, but, you know... One can hope. Yeah, one can be very surprised, right? Nobody mm-hmm. thought that Parasite was going to be that big. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's and true. it was even bigger than any, <laughs> anything. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, maybe... I would love for it to be to get some recognition. Yeah, definitely. Definitely same. Okay. Yeah, so I think that concludes our uh, small little podcast about two animated movies and a little bit of catching up. So yeah, really having, uh, really happy that you were here. Yeah, thank you nice for having me. Nice to see me. you again, absolutely. And yeah, see you all around uh, soon, and have a good one. Bye bye. Bye bye.